Welcome to It's a Good Good Podcast. My name is Hayden. I'm Chris. I'm Harry. And yeah, we're just a bunch of guys having talks about theology, the Bible, and God. And basically our whole goal is just to be accessible to anyone that you don't need a theology seminary degree right. to be able to talk about God. We definitely. want to make it easy and simple. I definitely don't have any of those degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so true, though. I mean, you just have to be interested in it. Mm. All the information's out there. All right, all right. Um, we're back to the actual good, good podcast. Last week we took a little hiatus, um, in our talking of Genesis, which is what we've been walking through Genesis one through 11, um, just to talk about COVID and, um, kind of the, you know, if there's a biblical response to that or a Christian response. Um, but this week we're getting back onto the Genesis one through 11 train. And the reason why we are going here is because we have been kind of told as we research and read that this is the universal story as one author puts it. Genesis one through 11 is the story of all of humanity. Um, and that's how the Bible opens. And basically everything in the Bible has echoes or callbacks or hyperlinks back to something in Genesis 1 through 11. And so we feel that it's important to know Genesis 1 through 11 um, pretty well if we're going to be good readers of the rest of the Bible, um, if if everything else is informed buy it so that's what we're doing we have we we were like we're gonna get through genesis 1 through 11 in one episode and (laughs) yeah that didn't happen uh so here we are in genesis chapter 6 we have worked our way from creation to the garden to the fall of man through cain and abel um and then now we are heading our way into the story of noah and the flood mm-hmm. we're like i think if, if we have a place to start we're like genesis chapter 6 verse 5 to kind of recap where we left off and then go straight into the account of noah um i think first thing to talk about too is the name noah because from from my like not even knowing enough hebrew to be dangerous but like just like the six hebrew phrases that i know this is an important one and it sounds funny to say because it's Noah. Noah. Yeah, Chris, can you give us a little, little info on the name Noah? You're muted, Chris. <laughs> uh, I was asking, do you know what it means? Uh, rest? Yeah, us- you're right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, I think it's interesting. I, I don't. I think what I remember being the more interesting thing is um, Noah's dad isn't like a great guy and his name means something too. So yeah, we, we covered this, I think a little bit on the last time and his Noah's dad is Lamech, um, which is the inversion of Malik, which would be the Hebrew word for king. Um, so inverted king um, essentially would be Noah's dad's name. However, I think we did decide last week that Lamech is a different Lamech than the genealogy we got beforehand. Um, so I think we don't really know much about 
um, no. Noah's dad. Um, other than the fact that he has the same name as this other guy who is for sure a bad character. It's not a great name. No. Yeah, I don't know that we get a whole lot out of um, Noah's name meaning. Um, I think it's it's important, and I think maybe we can we can take that with us as we start to read the story. Um, but I don't know. There's some that are you read some name meanings, you're like, aha, this is exactly why. But I think we'll need to. Well, actually, this says one of them could be response. It's like rest or response. So there you go. I mean, Noah does respond. He's, as we will see, in a pretty uh, crazy way. Yeah, yeah. So Genesis five twenty nine is him naming the father and naming him. And he says, now he called his son Noah, saying, this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord has cursed. Um, so, yeah, I think I think maybe we made the joke last time. It'd be like, this is Roost, who will give us rest. <laughs> like that's That would be like an English translation mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but the interesting thing, so I think this is actually important and good that we went back here. Um, Lamech says, this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground, which the Lord had cursed. Um, so the ground has been cursed by God because when we saw that in, I think Genesis four um, or Genesis three, um, during the fall of the man story, that was kind of Adam's, Adam's um, curse, so to speak. He curses the snake and then he doesn't curse Adam, but he curses the ground um, that Adam is forced to work on. Um, and so then now Lamech is saying, okay, now Noah will give us some rest from this curse of Adam. And it's all about the, the ground, the, the land. So that's just interesting yeah. to lock away as we read. It's also, um, um, there are a couple different words for ground or dirt, but this one is Adam. So it's also given us that strong connection to like bam remember adam adam the amount of both phonetic and then like alphabetic things that we're missing in this hebrew text are too numerous to count and like i don't know if we're going to get into talk about like the ark in and of itself and and how that's something that's used in hebrew a number of different times throughout the scriptures but it's frustrating how many times that biblical interpreters don't interpret some words. And that's yeah. like what I think is the most confusing part. Because if they just told us that this man's name was ground, we'd be like, oh, cool. Like, that's a weird name, but at least I know what it means. Yeah. So every time you see ground, you'd be like, all right, this is talking about this probably like is back to this man named ground. Yeah. But yeah. Or dirt and, or whatever. And, and we've said it before, too. It's like one thing that's really important to notice is names. And, and like names of places, names of people, how they're named. It's not just like Adam, like I knew a guy named Adam once, like he's, he's named after the dirt. He's named after the ground from which he was formed and what eventually gets cursed. Like those are incredibly important. So circling back to all these people's names, like some people might be listening to this and they're like, oh man, you're getting a little too into like Lamech and his name or, or Noah and his name. It's like, no, 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 no. Like if there's one thing that I am certain of is that these people were named very, very specifically and used. Um, yeah. 
very specifically throughout the story. Yeah, and this one even goes a little bit further in the prologue and being like, and now his name was Noah because he was going to give us rest from the ground. Yeah, so I think, I think that's really important when we're interpreting this story, um, if there's interpretation to be had, um, because they basically tell you right up front what Noah's going to do. So let's look and see what how he does that and what happens. I think that's just kind of the natural flow of things. Um, so last week, you know, it starts with this little prologue again where the Lord, um, he's looking upon the earth and and he grieves over what is going on. And we, we get this little story before about like how these, um, they call them the sons of God, are doing things with the women of the earth. And we talked about that last week. So we can go, if you want to refresh that, go back to that previous episode. Um, but then, yeah, we pick up in verse five and it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm glad we're starting here too, because like there are so many parts of the Bible that like trouble me. And I think that I'm not, I don't think I'm alone in like this paragraph being troubling for a number of reasons. Yeah. I think the reasons that jump out like anyone reading this, it's like the Lord saw that it was super wicked. Every human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of their thoughts was evil all the time. It's like, it's troubling. It's like, is that how humans are in general? Like are humans not that way now? You know, like we, we could talk about that. And then just the thought of like the Lord, my, my NIV translation has regret for I regret that I have made them. And like, we've talked about God being, like omnipotent, omniscient. It's like, can somebody who can see every possibility, every future, can that person truly feel regret? Because like they would have right. known it was going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a very problematic setup to what, what is a very, very cool story, but very troubling to me. Yeah, I think that that theme of like God um, changing his mind or being regretful or... Um, yeah, being sorry, some uh, NASB says sorry. Um, I'm sorry that I made them is a very hard point for a lot of people. Um, yeah, because if God is all knowing and all powerful, like why would he do something he would regret? Um, and I don't know that there's a great answer. I think um, God gives, it's theological, right? It's like, what do you, how, how much um, do you think God gives us uh, free will how, versus how much do you think he orchestrates everything? And so depending on how you view that, I think is how you're going to read this. Um, either he made them knowing um, that they would make these choices and he just did that out of love or he gave them the opportunity to make those choices and they just did it anyway. Um, but I, I don't know that there's a better, I mean, sorry is probably a good definition for them. Um, either way, he doesn't like the decision that he made. And that's basically what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think we should spin our wheels on like, cause we could talk for hours and never get to an answer of like, if he, if he's all powerful, if he's omniscient, how can you, he, and like, you know, I, I do think that free will comes into it, but 
it, it, I, I just want to call it out because like, I can't just glaze over it and not say that, but I don't think the point of this story is to um, spin our, spin our wheels and just like, why, 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 why? What's the point is, is what's actually going to come is, is how Noah acts and what Noah chooses to do. Yeah. I think if there's a point in that section, um, it's probably that the Lord was grieved um, that he's, doing this out of grief and I think that is one misunderstanding that I think a lot of people like just assume is that he's like doing it out of anger um but it actually is saying he's doing it out of grief which is interesting right and I think too a lot of people would probably I mean probably out of our context would be drawn to that instead of destroying humanity completely he actually gives humanity another chance like Mm -hmm. this is probably supposed to be a positive reading but we don't typically see it like that No, I think you said that last time, Chris, where it's like, there's all these instances of God actually being merciful. And then Mm -hmm. the areas of this world are like, God is a jerk. (laughs) Like he's going to just kill everybody. Like, I I think that you're you're right. That's not how it's supposed to be read at face value. Yep. And I think, um, like we've been saying this whole time is that this Genesis one through 11, um, is a compilation of stories that are in dialogue with other stories of um, cultures around them at the time. Um, and so one thing we know was very prevalent in um, the other cultures around this time was flood narratives, epic flood narratives. Um, basically, every culture has one of these stories. And so this is um, part of Israel's way of entering in to those stories and saying, yeah, here's, here's the version that our God tells um, of, of how this actually goes. Um, so yeah, for, for whatever reason, all these cultures have these flood stories and, um, you know, I don't know what more to say um, with that. I don't want to get too far um, down a rabbit hole, but um, this is this is the Israelites entering into that conversation. Um, and so, yeah, I think one of the big key notes right there would be God does this out of grief, um, not out of anger or like violence um, towards man. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, note. yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just say it's actually in response to violence um, rather mm. in, than in violence. Yeah. That's true. He is ending violence with this. Mm. I, uh, I'd say one more note to this word blameless. Um, it's, uh, let me read it here. I don't know it. Tamim. Um, basically, it's, it's like following commands, but it, it can also be used to describe a sacrifice. So like, um, like a perfect sacrifice would be um, this blameless sacrifice. So um, you know, take that, that I'm sure that has meaning too. I'm sure we're supposed to look at that and remember what we're talking about um, in terms of sacrifice and what's needed to restore that relationship with God. So um, it's another cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't necessarily want to read every verse of this um, story just because it is long. So I'll kind of just summarize um, as we go and you guys can pull out things as we want to. Um, But yeah, so every intent of man's thoughts is evil continually. So God's grieved and he says, I'm going to blot out man that I have created. But then he finds favor or Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. So he he's not going to blot out man. Um, And then it says, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. Um, 
then God says to Noah, because of this, I'm going to, because of this violence that's going on, I'm going to destroy all of mankind with the earth. So make an ark. And then he describes how he's going to make this ark um, out of, out of wood. And it's huge. And he tells him exactly how to do it. And then he's like, and then um, after you've done, you've done that, I'm going to bring a flood upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark and your sons and your wives and your son's wives with you. Um, and so he does it. And yeah, like you said, he, he follows the command um, that is given to him and he makes it. I have a question. Yep. The word covenant, you have it in NASB and I have it in NIV. That I know that that's an important word. Mm-hmm. First time the word covenant, because like the covenant, the promise um, is very important throughout the rest of Genesis. Is this the first time that like that specific word is used? Because I don't know if I've seen it prior in what we've read already. I, I believe it is just off the top of my head. Chris can do a quick search um, while we're talking about it. But yeah, I mean, that is part of the reason why I read verse 18 specifically is that jumped out to me when I was um, refreshing and rereading this is, yeah, covenant is something that picks up at the beginning of the book of the Bible, like Genesis 1 or Genesis in the Bible, and then goes all the way through. We hear about covenants and Paul, um, you know, all the way to the very end. So, yeah, that that is interesting and important to know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it is, um, just off of a quick Google search. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's the first time it's used, which obviously is incredibly important because it's God's relationship with humanity going forward is going to be all about covenants. Yeah. And, and once again, you know, we could look at this as being like, wow, God's a huge jerk. Like he just created us just to destroy us. But actually in his words, what's he's, what he's doing is like creating a covenant with us to like keep us alive, to keep us going, to maybe even like recreate us in a, in a new and better way. It's like that, that theme, like th- this might be the first time that that, that theme of covenant or promise is going to be played and it's going to be played out in Genesis alone a, a lot of different times. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, and so I think one thing that I also noticed is, yeah, God reiterates several times that what he's doing is because of the violence, um, that has been happening. And, um, that what we saw in Genesis four is what happens when violence occurs, right? God talks to Cain and he's asking him, where is Abel? And Abel says, "Mm, I don't know. You know, he had just murdered him. And God says like the, the blood in the, in the ground calls out to me. Um, And so the ground is clearly affected. The land, the earth is, is grieving. It's calling out to God um, because of this one act of violence. Now imagine if all humanity was the violent, the most violent to the max. And so you've, I, I, I think we're supposed to kind of carry that image with us into this and say like, man, if the blood of Abel kind of soaked into the ground and was calling out to God. Now all like the blood of all humanity of all this violence is like soaking into the ground and like, man, the earth, the earth is cursed. Like that's what God said was the punishment. And now we're seeing it really happening. 
Yeah. And, and also like what you're saying is like, um, this text communicating with other near Eastern narratives about, you know, the origin of the, of the world and humanity. like, you're not supposed to take, I don't think, you know, just like I want to, you're not supposed to take moral lessons out of every page of the Bible. But like what is clear here is that like God dislikes violence or, you know, God is going to react to violence in a way that like might not be best for humanity or however you want to word that other origin stories, other like um, narratives that talked about, like it, it was, it was riddled with violence. Like mm-hmm. there were gods killing gods and there were these like ethereal battles between, you know, different entities and, um, that that really did shape a lot of the ways that you know people looked at their existence and their purpose. And here it's like, hey, if you guys do have a purpose, it's not violence against your brothers. Yeah, I, I think too we see the reoccurring theme of God establishing order out of chaos, which is obviously there's a bunch of chaos going on. Yeah. Out of that chaos, we get violence. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in set in this context with all that, like it, it kind of makes more narrative sense why a flood would be happening here. Like if the blood of, of violent humanity has soaked into the ground and just cursed it, um, a reasonable response would be like a washing clean of, Mm -hmm. of that earth, um, with, with, water um and so that's what we see happen when we pick up in genesis 7 um god says to noah enter the ark you and all your household for you and i for you alone i have seen to be in right standing with me in this time and so then he tells him you know take not only yourself but take your family and take all of the animals you know we get that story that we've all heard like two of every kind and they like magically walk in to the boat but then we also get seven of certain animals too um and then he says in verse four for after seven more days i will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights and i'll blot out from the face of the land every living thing that i had made and then noah does what god asks him to do and then all of that happens. The rest of Genesis 7 is basically the, the implementation of what God said was going to happen. The animals come in to the ark, and then the flood, the flood waters begin to happen. Um, and that starts in verse 17. Um, and it says in verse 18, the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water, and the water prevailed more and more upon the earth and it goes and everything that's not in the ark dies. It says all flesh that moved on the earth perished Um, of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. And thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from the man to animals, to creeping things, to the birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left together with those that were in the in the ark with him yep. and, so and chapter seven the thing that calls out to me like the first thing i notice is like the numbers right and we don't need to get into like the numbers too intensely like as you're reading through that and you're like giving us the nuggets of like what's important this is this is just like genesis one all over again like it's it's you know instead of the holy spirit hovering over the surface of the water the ark is hovering over the surface of the water seven days from now I will send rain upon the earth, you know, seven days to create the earth and seven days to undo the earth. Um, You know, he's bringing the animals 
male and female, you know, he's bringing them like it's, it's, you know, we're in Genesis seven and it's like very, very specifically calling back once again, not to Genesis two, to Genesis one with those exact same patterns, those exact same phrases um, to kind of show uh, the, the difference, like the, the comparison between these two things, which is very interesting. Everything mm. on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. It's like, oh man, like I remember the last time I heard about the breath of life being in the nostrils. Like this is really intense, you know? Yeah, that's super interesting that you brought up the Genesis 1 stuff because the thing that I noticed was the Genesis 2 stuff, which is what you said there where it's like the breath, everything that had the breath of life in it, in its nostrils, and that's the image that we get in Genesis 2. So yeah, I think what you're taking away from this is totally right, is that we should be thinking this is a replay, but a twist on Genesis 1 and 2. That's, that's totally, totally good. Yeah, well, and, and something to mention too is that like my eyes have been opened to um, the repetition of Genesis 1 and 2, not just like throughout Genesis, throughout like the entire Bible, into Exodus, into the story of Jesus, into Acts. Like this, like if you start seeing these things, they, they are repeated a thousand different ways throughout the entire Bible. Like just the, the flow of how Genesis 1 and 2 work, the flow of that, that, um, origin story can be used it can be reversed it can be flipped up, upside down it can be you know changed in different ways you know like it, like i just said like instead of the holy spirit you've now got noah like who's going to give the breath of life to creation afterwards like all these different um ways that this that the story like if there's i've got a more important word in my head like the more the more ways that you can do them differently um the more that you can communicate with the exact same story it's really interesting yeah, I think we're already seeing like what we do, what we've done in every other uh, discussion we've had that like it's so easy to point everything back to Genesis and why it's so important to read Genesis well. Yeah, exactly. And so you uh, you called out um, Exodus and all of this. And I think we'll real quick do a little vignette on that. So as I was rereading this um, this morning, I kind of went in and highlighted all the things that remind me in Genesis 7 and 8 of, of the Exodus story. And so first it starts right off the bat, um, enter the ark um, that you and your household. And so this is like, kind of feels like Hebrew code, but this word ark comes up again in the Exodus story. Um, we usually have it translated as basket, but it's what Moses is put into as he's given, like put onto um, the Nile river to be rescued from the bloodshed, the intense violence that um, Pharaoh is committing against the Israelites. So I think right there in the Exodus story, we're automatically um, supposed to be thinking, oh, this is something, this is like Noah. Um, Moses is, he's getting um, rescued from the cursed bloodshed that Pharaoh's doing by riding on an ark over the waters. Um, and then it says, you know, he's going to send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. We get 40 years that the Israelites are in the wilderness um, but And then in Genesis 8, it picks up with this in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts that were um, in the cattle that were with him in the ark 
Um, and that's, that's what it says in Exodus when the Israelites are calling out to God, it says, but God remembers the Israelites. So yeah, I think, yeah, just kind of giving a quick glimpse of why, again, this is important, which we've done kind of in every episode so far is Exodus and this story are linked. And so then the question is for you to just go ahead and say, well, why are they linked? What does that mean? Like, let's, I think it just adds that greater depth to it. Yeah. And, and so we've talked about how it's important how people are named. And then in the repetition of these stories, it's important to notice like, okay, Noah is tied back to Adam in some ways, you know, like he's the one gathering the two by two. Like he's, he's the one that is the center of the new creation moving forward. And then you skip ahead to Moses and you're like, Oh, Moses is like not only the new Noah, but he's also the new Adam. Like there's these connections between these characters and like we would be, remiss on this podcast if we didn't always tie it back to jesus like that's why, a huge reason of why it's important to read genesis and like your old testament because like jesus in the desert for 40 days without food or drink like there there are so many callbacks and like jesus becomes the fulfillment of all these different stories so, like not not to go there like that could be like seven thousand different episodes like oh yeah. jesus fulfilling the old testament but like once again that's why it's super important to read these stories that's why it's super important to understand these patterns yeah, I like that a lot. I also, just to add on to that, like, as Christian reading the Old Testament, it's not, uh, it is directly applicable because of how it applies to Jesus, but it's also um, your history and your heritage as well. I mean, you it's not your bloodline, but it's something you've been adopted into. So, so important to know where you come from and know uh, how we got here. Yeah, I agree. So Genesis 8 um, picks up with what I read, that God remembers Noah and all the beasts and the uh, cattle that were with him on the ark, and God causes a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Yeah, once again, we've that sounds pretty familiar um, to Genesis 1. And so all it says, you know, all the floodgates were closed, and the, the water goes away, and then we get that story of Noah sending out the two birds and they like fly around and come back a few times. Um, it's usually always like a seven day interval in between when he's sending out those birds. Um, but eventually the birds don't come back and Noah realizes, Oh, that means they must've landed and started, you know, making their nest. And that means there's, there's water, there's, um, land out there. Um, so, Noah removes the covering of the ark um, and looks and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. Um, then God spoke to Noah. This is verse 16. Go out of the ark, you and your sons and your wives, or you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so Noah does just that. He comes out and he takes all the animals with them. Um, and then Noah builds an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offers a burnt offering on that altar. The Lord smells the soothing aroma. Um, and, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. 
Yep. And if the story ended right there, we'd be like, yay. <laughs> and like all these callbacks to Genesis, like bring out every living creature, let it multiply upon the earth. And you're like, oh man, like we screwed up the first Genesis, like everything got evil all the time. So God reset it. Noah's the new guy. And like, oh man, Noah's the man. He just does this burnt offering. God's so pleased. There's a nice little song at the end. Hooray. It's like, if the story ended right there, we'd be like, this story has a happy ending. Hooray. Not. It's only. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing, one yeah. thing that I just want to point out that doesn't matter at all, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, the first bird he sends out is a raven, which is an unclean animal, which I just don't know how that would have gotten onto his ark if he was only supposed to bring clean animals. Well, he brings unclean animals. Just instead of seven, he brings two of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you yeah. go. And then he starts sending out the dove, then he sends out the dove three times, and the third time the dove. But, yeah, I, I guess he changed up the strategy. Yeah, well, and like, I always like seeing how, like, everyday things actually come from the Bible. Like, I, I love how people who are like, I'm not a Christian, or like, I, you know, I don't read the Bible, but they use phrases like the straight and narrow, you know? <laughs> like, they, like they're, they're quoting the Bible all the time, and they don't even know it. And so, like, a dove coming back with an olive branch, like, if you talk to any layman, they're going to be like, oh, like, that's a signal for peace. Like, we've got it on a lot of different American flags and this and that. It's like, where does that come from? It comes from Genesis. I, I just, I love those little nuggets that are used in everyday life. And, you know, even for people who don't care or don't know, they're actually just quoting from the Bible. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and what a deep representation of peace. Like, why would that mean peace given in this context is like, oh, the violence of man had been washed clean. And now there's a new earth that doesn't have that stain that of violence that the old one had. Like, whoa, man, that's a great, it's a great picture of what that means. Um, one more thing um, yeah. really quick. Uh, Noah is the word for dove. So there's some strong linking there. It's Yanoah is how it's pronounced. So it's the Sounds like yeah. Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> dove of faithfulness. Yep. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, so once again, I, that's actually a connection that I had never known before, but um, linking the Jonah story with the Noah story and pulling out like why, you know, what, what, when I compare those two stories, what would I get? It's kind of two of the same named people, um, similarly named at least. Um, but yeah, so Noah at the beginning is named Noah because he's going to bring rest to humanity because of the curse of the ground. And lo and behold, at verse 21, the Lord smells the soothing aroma of uh, his sacrifice and says, I will never again curse the ground on account of man um, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So yeah, Noah achieves what his namesake is and what his father Lamech said was going to happen. And I think it's just important for me as I was reading that to put it in that context is the story is all about the earth and humans relationship to it not necessarily these the relationship of god and humanity this is all about the resolution of this curse to the ground um not any any like curse to man so i, I just think that's interesting i think we as humans are always trying to read 
what is our human implication of this story? And obviously I think there are a lot in this story, but it seems like the main thread is actually the curse of the ground being restored, which I think is just important to note. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, in verse, verse 17, um, we get that reiteration, uh, this is Genesis 8, verse 17, we get that reiteration of the Genesis 1 and 2 blessing that, you know, bring them out that they'll be fruitful and they'll multiply. Um, and so we're like, all right, we're back. We're back to the garden. We're back to Genesis one and two. And we know last time what happened, there was some punishment, um, some curse given to the earth because of um, humanity messing up. But God just said, hey, what? I'm not going to do that curse again. So now we have this kind of renewed earth that has been washed clean of the stain of violence. And Noah's placed into this new garden. Um, and is told to be fruitful and multiply. And so then we get to Genesis 9. So you got to say, well, what's going to happen with this new Adam in a new garden um, with this new promise, a covenant, that things are going to be different this yeah. time? In 9, it's interesting too, because like at the end of 8, he talks about, you know, bring out every living creature, you know, everything that moves upon the ground, all these Genesis phrases. And then in Genesis 9, he gives that blessing to humans, in this case, like Noah and his sons, be, fr be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Um, all the same things, you know, like I, you know, it's not necessarily the exact same words, but like rule and subdue the land. But he gives it, he gives one extra rule, one extra rule, which is like, BT dub, don't kill anything. <laughs> like killing things is bad. Like I, I, I didn't think I had to tell you that in the, <laughs> or in the past, but now I'm just going to like call that out. Don't kill anything. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't say necessarily don't kill anything. I think he would say like, don't murder anything because what he does say is there, there is a new provision. Um, in Genesis, uh, one, the humans are given the, the fruit of the garden to eat, but now he says every moving thing that is alive shall be given for you for food. So now animals are included in that. Um, I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Um, only, and this is where that provision comes in, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And surely I will require your life blood from every beast, I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Um, whoever sheds man's blood by, it, by man, his blood will be shed for in the image of God, he made man. So yeah, that's, that's that provision. And obviously when it's like, and from every man's brother, I will require their blood. So yeah, we're thinking brother Cain and Abel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so basically don't eat anything that's still alive or still has blood in it. You need to cook things basically. Yeah. I think that's the main takeaway there. Good Chris. life lesson for right now. <laughs> don't eat an uncooked bet animal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, yeah, what, what it is showing us is, hey, when you spill blood, the purpose behind that blood spilling is you're accountable for that. Um, and so that's, yeah. that's what um, God, God says. Um, I and then, like to like when, when there's practicality behind God's rules, like this is just smart because mm -hmm. you get like, 
God, God knows all this. I don't, I don't know if humanity knows this at the time, but you're killing off diseases and parasites and everything by cooking things. Like it's not only like what he's telling them, to, they, it's not only benefiting them in the relationship with God, but it's also going to help them live longer <laughs> and not get sick, which is, I just think, always think it's interesting. Yeah. Yep. And I guess before too, there wasn't really any talk about like, don't kill other human beings. It was like, it was just, like it was just revealed to be a bad thing after Cain and Abel. And so this time he's like very, very specific, like whoever sheds human blood, you know, by humans shall their blood be shed. And he, and he brings up for the image of God has God made in mankind. Like I kind of imply this before with my whole image of God thing, but like, don't kill each other. Like human beings should not kill human beings. He's getting a little bit more specific, you know, which is, mm. it, I guess like it shouldn't be necessary, but like he feels this time around, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some bacon. I'm going to give you some cheeseburgers. It's going to be great. Just make sure they're cooked. Also, like, don't, don't kill each other. Do not kill another human being. Yeah, that's an interesting implication in there, too, that I don't think I thought of. Is He's like, don't kill other human beings. And remember, like humans are my image. So what are you really killing when you're killing each other? That's like, dang. That, that seems to be his reasoning, too. He's like, like... Yeah. But whoever sheds human blood by human shall their blood be shed for in the image of God has God made mankind. And it's like before when he said like, I'm making humans in the image of God, he just thought that that implied don't kill each other because you're killing me. But like at this point, he's like, I'm going to actually spell this out for you. Like the whole, like the whole thing, me making you in my image means that every single time you kill somebody, you're killing me like in, in some strange way. Yeah. Hmm. So is this saying, the first part of ver- verse 6, is this, whomever sheds man's blood by man, his blood will be shed. Like, if you kill somebody, another guy is going to kill you. Is that what it's saying? Is this like, I'm wondering, is this like uh, someone points to this and goes, death penalty? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely people who have made their case um, for the death penalty using this um, very verse. Um, I think that this is more of kind of like a natural consequence sort of stating um, that um, God has given here. And I think we see some evidence of that in the Deuteronomy laws and in the Leviticus laws, um, the way that... Um, God sets those up and he creates special sanctuary cities as he calls them for people to go if they've like accidentally shed someone's blood. Um, And so I think God, God isn't saying if you kill someone, be put to death um, here. But I think what he's saying is violence begets violence. Um, And so if you are stirring that up, like be prepared for people to hate you and come after you. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that this is one of the, at least what I'm seeing, one of the first times he's kind of laying out consequences for humanity by humanity. Mm-hmm. Usually it's, um, I will do this, but now it's like, if you do this, you're going to die. Yeah. But, um, I mean, he's done those things before, just interesting. And yeah, I don't, I don't think it's good to point to Genesis and go, this is how we should make laws. I just <laughs> think that uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting because like, when you said that, like, I can't read it any other way. Like now that you said that, it's like, and from each human being, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. It sure sounds like an eye for an eye to me, you know, but then we're going to get into like stories of war, you know, a little bit later in the old Testament. And like every single time Joshua goes in and just like slays a thousand people. Like that's, I, I, I don't think it's just like a black and white. 
no somebody you know and as christians like jesus flips all of this on its head so there is that part but just interesting like just looking at this by itself you'd be like oh okay so this is the payment for somebody killing another man is that that's what i'm saying if you take it out of context like i can't like just looking at that i cannot read it any other way than like yeah you kill somebody you should be killed like that's that's yeah that's a really good point and i think that brings up maybe like the counter um point i guess or like the opposite direction so right right now kind of what we're doing is like saying genesis 1 through 11 everything like links back heads back to that so when you're reading like reflect on genesis 1 through 11 but i also think with that implies something that there is threads drawn out that begin in genesis 1 through 11 that head to other places come back to genesis 1 head back again and so it's with that i think that implies that in order to get the full meaning and grasp of an idea in the bible you can't just go to genesis 1 through 11 you should go there but you also can't just go there and you also can't just be hanging out in leviticus or you can't just be hanging out even in you know jesus parables like you gotta draw it all the way through to get the fullest meaning of that and so yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point is like, oh, Genesis 1 through 11 like says this. And then so I think what we should be saying, well, is if Genesis 1 through 11 is informing the rest of the Bible, when we see something happen in there, we should probably see the way that it's being informed throughout the rest of the Bible. Yeah, I think the, the way that the entire Bible is in communication and in dialogue with itself is not just like a one-to-one. It's not just like, mm-hmm. oh, this story replaced and then you know jesus is the new noah or the new moses or whatever it's almost like like i'm trying to use the word that's not in flames or like correcting itself or you know like challenging itself or reimagining itself or evolving itself throughout each different phase you know like i this very well if we only had genesis one through nine we we straight up might think oh like if you kill somebody i kill you like we're just just talking about the same example we just had but as this is played out in seventeen thousand different ways throughout the entire story like we're meant to follow those strings back and forth and then come to uh, a much more uh, evolved point of view on these types of things. Yeah, I think there's actually a term for that and it, it can go beyond the Bible too. So there needs to be parameters, but it's called scriptural revelation. It's that as God continues to move through humanity, new things are revealed and things, some, the idea of things changes. And Christians on the whole believe this to some extent because you have Um, Jesus like speaking the words of David on the cross like obviously that has new meaning no matter what kind of Christian you are Um, but uh, there are some people that say well actually extends beyond that too like there are going to be new ways we can interpret the Bible the longer we're around through the Holy Spirit so there's that idea if anybody's curious yeah totally and I think I think taking this one even to Jesus is kind of cool like if you're saying all right um, you know, God is saying that whoever sheds man blood by um, his blood shall be shed um, for the image of God or for is man. And, and then he's saying like, I will require a, um, like I will require the lifeblood to be like kind of a testimony of the lifeblood. Like you have to give an account of of that and then so we see this history of violence leading up to jesus and so 
then if we track this and say, okay, well, God is requiring an account. Clearly he requires punishment. Like he, he is given already he's shown what it did to the ground. Now he's saying it, it affects us as humans as well. So what's he going to do with that? And then we get to Jesus on the cross and it it's given new life and new meaning there. So, yeah, I think that's, that's it's awesome. a really good point. Yeah. Because the, the payment here is really, it's, it's blood. It's not, anything but that so there, there has to be a payment for the sin of killing another man and yeah that's really cool you could definitely make that link i was gonna say that is pretty cool yeah i can look at this and i can say death penalty or i can look at this and i can say from each human being i will demand an accounting for the life of another human being and just instead of another human being jesus christ you know yeah mm. yeah so how does you know we see how god satisfies the curse on the earth because of the blood how is God going to satisfy the curse of humanity that is clear and evident in this chapter? And we don't find that out until Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So got quite a way to go. <laughs> yeah. Got quite a way to go. Um, yeah. And, but then we also do, we see um, ways that God deals with it in the meantime in yeah. Leviticus and Deuteronomy and things like that. And so when you're starting to see the sacrifices and see the scapegoat and things like that in, in those later books, and you're like, well, is, why is this here? Head back to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we can, now we can really end the story of Noah, right? Because he establishes the covenant again, makes a beautiful rainbow. And then, you know, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on earth, period. Guns yeah. Period. Yeah. And so we pick up again, like you said, on that covenant thing. And basically the promise in this covenant is that he's not going to destroy everything um, like he did again. And he's even going to give us constant reminder of that truth. Um, And then we get to Genesis 9 verse 20. Um, Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. Hey, this is this is new garden. This is awesome. Um, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself in his tent and Ham, the father of Canaan, by the way, saw the nakedness of his father and his two and told his two brothers outside. Um, but Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew that his, what his youngest son had done to him and curses Canaan, um, a servant of servants. So, yeah, what's going on there? That yeah. weird story. That's a really good question. Well, yeah. he, 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 gets, he gets drunk. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Noah, a man of the soil, and you're like, oh, hooray. Like, Noah, man of the soil, he planted a vineyard oh he's he's subduing the earth hooray and then he drank some of the wine and became drunk and lay naked inside his tent and so like we we've talked about like i I think this is the first example of someone getting drunk but i think we know that getting drunk is probably not a good thing and we'll see actually as we read on like bad things come from that but then he lay naked he lays naked inside his tent and i guess chris not to get like r-rated on this or whatever but like no i've i've heard I've heard so many different times about like how Ham sees his father naked and like it, there's more than just like him seeing it. And like, I'm, I'm thinking Genesis language where it's like, I see the fruit, you know, and I, and I, it's good for my 
it's good by by the side of my eyes and like we know that that's bad and so like at face value i know i, I can and like all oh, the other brothers walk backwards so they don't see it. it's like the scene is the bad thing but like is there more implied here yeah i think uh best case scenario he just saw him naked and walked out um but this is um i think as we as we've heard from um dr tim Mackey, the bible project like there's more that's probably implied here. And this word is sometimes used for rape. So um, it just implies it. It's like a weird way of saying it without saying it. Um, but there's definitely something that everybody knew was wrong that he went and did, that his son, or that Pam went ahead and did. Mm -hmm. So it's like, he's intentionally doing something wrong. It's not like he just walked in and saw him naked and walked right back out. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think <laughs> Noah did something wrong. Ham did something very wrong. And really the only good out of the story is um, Shem and Japheth that tried to cover their father's indecency but I mean yeah it's just it's a bad story all around yeah I think we we gotta link it back to the stories we've already heard we've got Noah man of the earth um, so yeah like Adam he's planting a, a garden he's he's partaking of the fruit of that garden um, which could be good or it could be bad and it results in nakedness and shame, um, which we've seen this all before. And so, yeah, we should be reading this thinking there's sin still in the life of Noah and in, in this righteous man that we were told is righteous. There's mm -hmm. sin there um, going on. Yeah, he, he gets off the boat. It's, it's hooray. It's Genesis 1 and 2. And then all of a sudden, we hit the fall once again, just in a different way. So, you know... I think it's, sorry, go ahead. No, you're, you're good. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just, I just think it's so interesting that like, if when we're looking at this, it's not the, it's not the vineyard or the wine that is like the evil part here in terms of no, it's the getting the, the drunkenness. And I think it's so interesting that the Bible allows for wine and like, it's like a blurry line and it doesn't really talk about it except getting drunk gets you into bad situations. And I, I think this is one of the reasons the Western world has such a hard time grappling with alcohol. Like, the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly what to do with it and even has our biggest heroes in the Bible using it. Um, Jesus, obviously the main one, but this would have been the time for that where the Bible would be like, he drank wine and this happened, but it threw drunkenness in there to show that there was like a limit, which is, I just think is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th yeah I think, you know, alcohol is, is something that can be kind of like demonized. But, I mean, like I can eat, I was just munching out a cookie before the show. Like a, a, one cookie is good, but I could eat like 50 cookies and like puke all over the place because it's just, it's just too much and my stomach can't handle it. Like I think the Bible looks at that just like they're looking at a lot of other things. And then they give us stories with this one in particular where it's like, hey, he drank some of his wine and we're like, he's partaking of the tree. Like hopefully it's not the bad tree. And it's like, and then it became drunk and this terrible thing happened. So like throughout the narrative, it makes it clear what was happening. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that the tree was there. It wasn't the fact that it produced apples. It was the fact that it was taken and then something terrible happened afterwards because of that. Yeah. And so I think we're left here at the end of this part of the story with this question like, okay, we've seen how God has dealt with the consequences of sin as it pertains to the earth. But now it's clear that the consequences of sin are still within humanity. And God just promised that he's not going to destroy humanity. So then the question is, is if humans are not living up to their calling, they're not righteous, 
but God has also declared that he will not destroy them. It seems evident that like one of two outcomes is going to happen. Either God's going to have to do something to deal with it, to deal with that sin, or humans are going to destroy the earth, like, and, and destroy themselves. Like that seems like the, the two logical conclusions. So what, what's going to happen? Um, and I think that's kind of where we're left with that story is like, man, God kind of dealt with it, but humans are still, they, they've still got this stain of sin in them. So how's, how's God going to deal with that? So I think maybe that's a decent place to leave off. Um, and how, I mean, how long are we going here? Well, I think, I think we can go, I think, um, we can talk about Genesis 10 cause it's just like, we can go over that pretty quickly. It won't be like a very flashy way to end it, but Genesis 11, I feel like we could do a deep dive on that because Genesis yeah. 11, I think is replayed in Jacob's ladder and acts Two, like you said, Hayden, like, I think we could do a deeper dive on that. But I think let's, let's just like tie a bow because we have these three sons, two of which did the right thing. One of which did the wrong thing. And then Genesis 10 is the account of those three sons and all of the sons that they had and like just a stupid person who doesn't know anything looking at the line of ham. I see like a bunch of bad guys. I see, I see Assyria. I see Nineveh, which is like, once again, talking about Jonah, like the city of a bunch of bad people that he didn't really like, you know, like he hates uh, Nineveh so much. (laughs) He does. And then like, like Nimrod, a, a mighty hunter before the Lord, like these, these people who are like either, in, in inferred or actually are at later parts of the Bible, like bad, bad people. Mm. So, you know, it, it, I, I don't know if that's a literary device or whatnot, but we've got all these lines of these people. And, and that's just like three that like I recognized as I read through it. But what's that? We have this story where Ham does something bad. What's the consequence of that? Is that like evil comes from this curse that, that, you know, God brings upon Adam, which brings upon Noah, which Noah brings upon the line of Canaan. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for Kane in here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we'll pick up starting in Genesis 11 and take kind of a deep dive into Babel and then maybe just kind of touch into Genesis 12, just because I think it, it starts the launch into the rest of the story. And I think that's kind of an important, but yeah, I think I can see us ending this in a single more episode if we can push ourselves to do it. One more episode, we'll be fine. (laughs) Shout out to Canyon Coffee Roasters for fueling every one of our conversations. If you are only listening, you don't see it, but we are drinking a cup of Canyon every time we talk together. Thanks to John Jones Project and Clink, who are making the music that you hear in the background. Thank you for making awesome stuff that we get to share with the people that are listening to our podcast. And thank you guys for tuning in and Always feel free to let us know if you have questions or things you want to talk about or if you want to be on the show. We'd love to have you as well. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next time.